Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun. So winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Auto Sport Podcast. Gary Anderson delivers his verdict on the second day of pre-season testing from Barcelona. Ferrari continued to top the timesheets in pre-season testing on day two here in Barcelona, with Charles Leclerc fastest on his first day in the new SF90. And just to add to the symmetry, Lando Norris ensured McLaren was second fastest again, three-tenths of a second slower, with Kevin Magnussen's Haas third. So we've got the same three teams in the top three day two as on day one, although outright lap times are of uh, questionable meaning at this stage. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me as usual is Gary Anderson for our daily testing podcast. I'd say, Gary, thanks for resisting the temptation for a plunge in the swimming pool rather than joining us on the podcast. Well, I couldn't get the ice off the top of it to begin with. It's a bit chilly out there, I must admit. So, um, I think you're a bit worried about that uh, automatic lawnmower that's marauding nearby. Yeah, it's amazing. It was going around the lawn this morning when we left at, uh, what was it, 7 o'clock or something, and it's going around the lawn tonight when we come back about 7 o'clock. So it's got its lights on now, at least. So that's not too bad. It's very diligent. I, w- I did think it was going to end up in the swimming pool this morning, actually. <laughs> amazing device, because when we headed it out, it was heading towards its docking station to get a charge built up so um yeah it's that's that's electric technology to the to, to a new level isn't it it's fantastic watching it how good it is at cutting lawns i don't know it doesn't look 
robust enough to me, but it's it's doing the job. Well, it's done more mileage than Williams has so far at testing, so a lot more mileage. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll, Let's we'll not go there. We'll give it credit. Well, we talked about Williams lots in the first two uh, podcasts, the preview in the day one podcast, and then the latest is the car may arrive overnight. So we may see the Williams tomorrow. We won't talk about that too much today, but yeah, they're still working on it. So, Gary, Charles Leclerc fastest again, a 1 minute 18.247 for Leclerc on the compound three tyres. So that's kind of in the middle. They're compounds one, two, three, four, five. One is the hardest, five is the softest. This isn't what they're going to be called officially during the year. They'll pick three of them and they'll be soft, medium and hard. So it'll be a bit more sensible once we get into the proper season. But Ferrari reeling off the lap. Charles Leclerc on his first day in the Ferrari, picking up where Sebastian Vettel left off yesterday. Yeah, he did a very good job. And as I say, today he became an official Ferrari driver. It's his first you know, big day. He's tested the car before and ran the car before and obviously as a Ferrari driver, but the day you get in the car and steer it out of the garage as your f- official driver, that's that's the day you can sort of think, hmm, I've got it, I'm here. Um, it's been his ambition for a long time. So, you know, again, it's, today was about you know, not blotting your copybook, just keep it neat and tidy and clean. Um, he did a good job. He was a, a tenth of a second slower than what Vettel did yesterday um, on the same tyre. So no big drama. It looked like a, a sort of mirror image, really, of what the programme they went through yesterday bits of long runs bits of short runs we don't know the fuel loads but I'm sure that both you know for the team point of view I'm sure Vettel and Leclerc are running through the same sort of fuel load uh, program entire program because it's important that you get both drivers to be contributing towards the 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 car's performance uh, so that your development direction can be sort of summed up a between the two comments but also hopefully in line with each other so if they go in different directions, suddenly it becomes a big drama. And if you've got two different programs, it could very easily go in two different directions. So he did a good job. Again, you, you did an article in Autosport about, um, about Leclerc not getting, not being very good at putting together his three-section times. And again... Oh, yeah, that was, that was last season, yeah. We, uh, we looked at, you get the three-section times, you can combine them in qualifying to come up with a theoretical perfect lap. I was looking at the, uh, the numbers with Karin Chandok um, earlier today, and yeah, no one managed it. Less often than uh, than Leclerc only did it three times, whereas the the standard setter was actually Sebastian Vettel who did it eleven times last year. So just a little guide of who's nailing the the optimum lap. Well, I mean that that's the thing about it. Today, with his his best run as such or his best lap, he didn't put the three section times together either. He lost 0.21 of a second in the first sector, um, and on the second lap he, he picked that up again. So you. You've got to put the three together. You know, come qualifying Saturday afternoon in, in in Melbourne, those two tenths of a second potentially are a massive amount of grid positions. So he's got to make sure that he can do that. Now he's he's had a go today, and if he's if he's smart enough, he'll read your article ahead for a start. But he'll also you know be thinking about that tonight because you you've got to do that. You've got to make sure that you recognise your problems and then try to identify them, how you rectify them and fix you know get on with it because. As I say, qualifying on that one one set of tyres or whatever, maybe two sets of tyres that you have for the for Q3 in, in Melbourne and all the re- future races, you've got to make the best of them or else you'll be down the grid and then you're starting at a deficit before the, the race even starts. Yeah, I'm sure he's uh, he's very well aware of that uh, of that uh, relative relative weakness, but I think on average he was about 0.135 off his optimum lap, and that's that can easily be a row on the grid. So it's it's important, particularly up against Sebastian Vettel. But 157 laps completed for Ferrari, and I think. 
the fact that again the fact they're top of the times doesn't mean they're far and away the fastest because we haven't seen a Mercedes at full pelt or or a Red Bull but you just look for a team just hitting the ground running reeling off the laps everything's working the laps are being done and I imagine that the whole spirit of the team same as it was yesterday just generally delighted with life well yeah you know the thing the thing about it the important thing about it is you drive out of the garage in the morning you stop it at lunchtime you do a little bit of a fiddle around it you start it up after lunchtime and you stop it at night if you can do that then you know you're running through your program you might even have the luxury of running through a bigger program which is you know the laps count to be honest you, you'll always learn something even if it's just you know 10 laps on a hard tire with a a different fuel load to see what the degradation's like, or you try the weight distribution just that little bit different just for a 10-lap run. That's that's what you're doing at the test meeting. It's trying to do the things that you can't do at a race meeting so that if at a race meeting you have this problem pop up with the fact that you know, you're know you destroying the front tyres or destroying the rear tyres or, or the car's got an understeer or the car's got an oversteer, you've got your data bank to relate to. And Well, when we're in Barcelona, we did this, you know, and that created that problem, which should create a fix for that problem. So, you know, you, that's what it is. It's a, you're just creating a huge data bank to make sure that you can um, address any problems that arrive when you've got the constraints of a, a race weekend. And the more laps you can do, the more you, you get out of it. Well, let's look down to second place. Lando Norris on his first day in the McLaren on the C4 compound, so the one in from the, the softest. He did a one-minute 18.553. That was very late on. He put in that lap time. Now... McLaren fans might be looking at that and getting quite excited, thinking, oh, McLaren's back. Not necessarily right at the front, but got a good, strong car. What What do you think? There's there's a bit of a danger, there's a bit of an illusion going on here, isn't there? Well, I think, you know, both yesterday with Carlos Sainz and today with Lando Norris, they're, they're making the last uh, hour into a happy hour, as we used to call it. You know, and, and, that's, and it's right to do, to be honest, especially for Lando Norris, because the most important thing is that he gets to to Melbourne, feeling comfortable with going into qualifying, that he knows what the car will do with low fuel and new tyres on it. He knows how you know he has to attack the lap. Um, so n- there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe it's early in the test to do it, but you know you've only got a limited amount of time. So Carlos Sainz had a go at it yesterday. Probably he doesn't really need to do it. He's got some experience. Um, Landon Norris had a, a go at it today. He does need to do it because he hasn't got the experience. So nothing wrong with doing it. Um, but it's just you know don't don't think that that is the performance of the car relative to everybody else. I'm pretty sure that we'll see 16s of some sort, one minute 16 second lap times around here before the end of even this first test. Um, fairly ambitious, but last year we got a seven one minute 17.2. I think the track's in better condition this year. I think the weather's better condition this year. Yes, they've lost a little bit of downforce because of the um, the wing the front wing change. But uh, the characteristics of the cars look a lot better than they did last year, so I think that'll make up for that. So I would be surprised if you know the, one, the mid one minute sixteens isn't the ultimate lap time, which you know will come from a bigger team. Um, so yeah, don't think that's the McLaren pace just yet. Very impressive. They needed to recover from last year. They've done a good job. The car looks good. It goes round and round and round. Very important. And so you know, all the best to them. They need to do it. I think with McLaren, it's all about what the expectations and the objectives need to be. Because for me, McLaren just needs to have a car that works reasonably well, show they can develop it through the season, prove that those technical changes they've made have, have worked. And I don't think McLaren's going to be a top five in the Constructors' Championship this year. And I think if you look at the, the long-run pace, that we're starting to see a few hints of that. It didn't look anything extraordinary. But that's 
that might sound like being negative about McLaren, but it's also being realistic. I think we may slightly disagree on what McLaren could aim to do in one year, but it feels to me like this is the like last year was the rude awakening, and now this is the steadying the ship year and the showing that the the course you've set is the right one, even if you're not going super quick in that direction. Yeah, I agree completely. And and also the fact that it's probably better to be at the, the learning year or the stabilising year, as you call it, because it's if you can go from being in the doldrums they were last year to being in the top three, let's say, next year or this year, um, you have to ask the question, why? Because, and, and, that, and that's hard to answer. You know, you all do the, we all do lots and lots and lots of work. And the way I look at racing cars is they're, you know, there's no team in the pit lane that actually genuinely knows 100% of what makes the car work. It's just the good teams know a little bit more. But there's still a certain percentage of the car that you can make an error on. Um, and let's say, just for example, that Mercedes over the last you know five years have been pretty dominant. Um, you know, They probably know 80% of what makes the car faster on the racetrack. So there's still 20% that they can make a mistake on. And for M- McLaren, you know, they probably know 60%. So there's 40% they can make a mistake on. Uh, and the important thing is to try to eliminate that those potential mistakes. Make sure you know why you're you're bad, or make sure you know why you're good, because then you want to try and improve that. So they need to have a stable year, and they need to try and get the best out of the car they can. The car looks okay. You know, I don't think it's got the grip of some of the other cars. The rear looks a little nervous now and again, going going into the corner and on the throttle. But not, you know, not exceptional, just that little bit. And you, know, you pick these little bits out that you see. Um, and that's, that's where McLaren is, just the rear of the car a little bit. Well, we should remember that at this stage last year, they were having problems with wheels falling off. And that rear instability that was there all year was starting to manifest itself. I remember, I think we were both watching this. She came when it started to, to show up uh, with Van Dorn driving. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Solid, solid for, for McLaren, but uh, yeah, McLaren fans shouldn't get to, too excited just yet. Yesterday, we didn't talk too much about about Haas. We did quite a whistle-stop tour of everyone. Uh, Kevin Magnussen, third fastest, 1 minute 19.206 on the C3 compound. So that's the middle compound of tyres. Now, he was a little bit restricted on running today because he had a problem with the, the headrest configuration whereby the the headrest was pushing his head forward. So then when he was on the brakes, it was really, really difficult. That's quite an unusual problem really for uh i understand how that can happen but this is his third year with the team so how do, how does something like that happen the headrest rules haven't changed no it's a, it's a configuration really of the you've got first of all you've got the seat and then you've got the hands device that the drivers have to wear which is sort of like a horseshoe that fits around your shoulders and the helmet gets strapped back to it so and it gets trapped with the seat belt so in the head-on impact basically it doesn't overextend your neck um, and then you got the headrest, and obviously somewhere along the line they got the configuration of those wrong. So the the hands device was getting caught up in the headrest and pushing his head forward, and it's very uncomfortable because you say you you know under braking, you you sort of your head's your head moves, but your head moves further than what you want it to be. Um, so yeah, rather than sort of pulling a muscle or a ligament or whatever in your neck, it's better to stop a bit earlier which is what he did, and, and he limited his laps during the day as well just to make sure he didn't hurt himself because it's, it's, it's once you've damaged some of the ligaments in your neck, you know, Melbourne will still be painful, so better to be careful and, and uh, wait a little bit. Maybe it's just a sitting position in the car. You know, if he had his able to move his seat forward a little bit or a bit of a thicker seat, his head would come away from the headrest, but maybe the car configuration with the steering wheel position and stuff isn't quite quite right so i'm sure they'll fix it but uh he's, he's a reasonably tall guy um these cars have got a, a seat back to pedal 
um, dimension that they are seat back to front bulkhead dimension that you have to comply with of 1.8 meters. So it should be okay for him, but somewhere along the line, he's just seemed to be a bit constrained within the car. But another solid day's work for for Haas, notwithstanding that. Car looks like it's going okay on track, doesn't it? So it's again not the third fastest, but certainly has looking at least in the ballpark to do what they did last year yeah i went out around the track again today and turn nine is one of these corners a very fast right hander at the top of the hill it's a sort of blind corner campsa um so it's a good place to, to look at the back of the cars and see how stable they are and i have to say the house was, was quite impressive through there it looked neat and tidy and you know the, the most important thing is that the rear doesn't move as you go over the top of that bit of a hill and uh, some of the cars you could just see that little bit of movement um but the house did look well planted, well you know, secure and, and confident. So, they're a team. They're a team that's growing. They're um, you know they're they're going to be a pain in the backside to a few to a few of the other midfield teams. Can they close the gap on on the top three as we call it? It's going to be tough. It's going to really be tough still. But we have to just wait and see how it all unfolds in Melbourne. Well, fourth fastest was Alexander Alban, one minute nineteen point three zero one on the C four tire. So that's the one in from the from the softest big day for him it's his first formula one test going straight into the pre-season test program so out you go first thing in the morning coming out the fifth corner you're sat in the gravel facing the wrong way uh, we have heard drivers talking about how difficult the the tires are the tire warm because they have they have lowered the temperature you can warm the tires to obviously early in the morning although the temperature got higher later on it was still still cold so i'm sure it was a very embarrassing moment for him but I guess you have to have some sympathy for how that can happen. Yeah, you do. I mean, it's, it's just, it was his first drive, so it was pretty tricky. He didn't damage the car or anything really worth talking about, just maybe little bits of carbon fibre underneath it. But um, yeah, they've, they've lowered the, the rear temperature and the rear tyres to a maximum of 80 degrees, and you're still allowed to warm the front tyres up to 100 degrees. Now, in saying that, you know that shouldn't make the, the, the fact the guy goes out and spins. Grosjean's done it. We've had a few cars do it. Kimi Räikkönen did it yesterday, so it's it's a little bit more than just the fact that the tire temperatures. To be honest, it's it's, it's the going offset. on there. The, the, the offset, offset plays a yeah, the offset of the of the tire temperature. But there's a little bit more to it than that, I'm sure. Um, and basically, you know, the rear of the car you can normally warm up any time the throttle, you know, and spin the wheels. And a lot of the the teams would just stop at the end of the pit lane and do a practice start, and that means the rear tires are going up like twenty degrees immediately. So the only reason to spin is because you know the rear tires are cool, and that's a bit uh, negligent, I suppose. Especially first thing in the morning when it is cool. You know, if you get the rear tires too hot, then the car understeers a bit because the front tires are very difficult to get up to temperature or get to working. Temperature is a loose word. Front tires are very difficult to get to work, and so it's a balance that between the two. But first thing in the morning when it's a bit cold here, which it, which it is, it might be better just to get those rear tires working and live with that understeer for a lap or two until you get uh, get your your eye in a bit. But uh, he didn't do that. End up the gravel trap, blotted his copybook, but he got away with it. Things got better after that for him though, didn't he? A lot of laps, total of 132 laps, which is a pretty pretty big workload for your first day in an F1 car. So I think even though that that mistake happened, it, it's understandable and it's forgivable, isn't it? And he got on with, with the job, he clearly didn't let it affect him too much. Yeah, they, they did say something about a steering problem. I'm not sure how related that is or, or if that was just sort of trying to not get him too down and out on his first uh, first day in from one car because sometimes it's better to, for the team to sort of maybe 
say, well, there's a little bit of a problem here, like the hydraulic pressure on the steering wasn't quite right or something. Just as a, just as a confidence boost to the guy, because obviously that's, you know you can you can definitely get somebody so nervous about it all that they go out and do the same thing again. So sometimes you have to put your arm around the guy's shoulder. I didn't used to do that that much, but sometimes you do have to do that. Put the arm around, arm around the throat or something. Well, thumb, mark, <laughs> thumb marks in the throat I always find work well. I'm just checking because obviously it's not long after testing's finished, so our team at the track's still there. So having a look at what Alexander Alban said about it, uh, and he said uh, at the start I was thinking to myself, don't spin it this morning, and that's exactly what I did. <laughs> really tricky out there. The track was so cold that you couldn't drive slowly. As soon as you drive too slow, your tyres get too cold. It becomes unpredictable, and it's like driving on ice. But... Then, as he says, after once I got into my rhythm, it was a smooth day and we had no issues. So certainly he, he made up for it. And what we've seen, we've seen plenty of drivers have a mishap like that. It's just unfortunate for him that it happens to be at a high-profile moment uh, in the pre-season test. But yeah, still a still a good day. Um, let's uh, jump around a little bit. Antonio Giovinazzi was was fifth fastest in the Alfa Romeo woman at nineteen point three one two. Uh, on the C4 compound, and we won't talk about Sauber too much today. We talked about them a little yesterday with Kimi Raikkonen, but actually I spoke to Kimi Raikkonen earlier today for a, a future article in Autosport, and he was seemed very, very cheerful with life and, and happy, both with his surroundings and the way the car's working, so that's that's positive for, for Alfa Romeo, the renamed Sauber team. And then sixth fastest, we've got the Mercedes, Valtteri Bottas. Again, they split the day. Bottas ended up with a faster lap time, a one minute 19.535 on the, on the C3s, and Again, Mercedes doing what they always do, still running on relatively high fuel loads and, and just going through their program. And there don't seem to have been any particular causes for alarm from, from Mercedes. I know Lewis Hamilton said that the car feels a little bit different to last year's car, so clearly it has, has changed in some ways, which is good because they will have been aiming to change it for the, for the better. But Mercedes kind of keeping below the radar and just doing what they're doing. I don't think anyone thinks they're struggling particularly. No, um, I don't think they are, but you know they do normally, and and at some point in time, show their hand because I think it's important that you do do that. Um, they haven't done that yet. The car does look like it's reasonably heavy, it, you know, doing long runs and and nothing you would get too excited about. But sometime you you have to make sure. And Ferrari, I don't think are running, you know, low fuel either. I think, you know, the car doesn't look like it's on low fuel. I think it's more lower fuel. Yeah, a, a lot of teams will have their their set amount they run. So yeah, I, I don't think anyone's suggesting Ferraris, yeah, glory running or anything. It's just yeah, no, that's their program. Whenever you whenever you look at uh, fuel weight, I mean, ten kilograms of fuel um, is basically three tenths of a second. So thirty kilograms of fuel knocking on the door of a second slower, or take it out a second faster. So they can have a big influence on lap time. Um, but as I said earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting the cars to get into the 16s, which if you if you take that from the 18-1 that, um, that Vettel did, 18-2 that Leclerc did, you know, you're, you're talking about them actually running something in the reason of 50 kilograms of fuel at the moment, which I think if I was planning something now with a fuel load of 110 kilograms that the cars carry, I would do most of my work around the mid the mid-range fuel, 50, 50 kilo, 55 kilograms, because, you know, fill it to the full, you kill the tires too quickly, have it empty, you're just deluding yourself. So you don't. I don't think you have to be a brain surgeon to realise that maybe mid-fuel tanks-ish would be a good place to be. And maybe, you know, if you're doing a bit of a run, just go from 70 down to 40, but don't go from 110 to, to 80. Just use that little middle window 
and then you get a better reading on everything. And um, I'm sure both Ferrari and and Mercedes aren't far away from that. But maybe maybe Mercedes have got you know twenty more kilograms or maybe even thirty, and at the moment. Well, next down the the order we see Pierre Gasly. His first uh, official day as a Red Bull, uh, Red Bull racing driver, as it were. He did a one minute nineteen point eight one four on the C three compound. Now he did have a bit of a mishap in turn eleven, the long right hander. So t- talk talk us through that moment he had. It was uh, it was caught on the uh, on the coverage. Well, actually, interesting. I think it was two years ago. Max Verstappen had a similar moment coming out of that turn twelve and uh, smacked the, the barrier on the outside of the track. Might even been last year, but anyway, it could happen to the best as well. But yeah, he was, you know, he just on a fresh set of tires, and uh, he, he did a, his best midsection time, just coming out of turn ten, his little kink, which is called turn eleven, just the rear stepped out that little bit on it, just a little bit of wheel spin, and then in the fact that at the same point in time he had to turn right um, for the, for turn twelve and sort of add the correction to the oversteer as well. The sort of momentum just took him round into the tire barrier or the protection barrier um, backwards. No big deal, and again, it's a bit. It's a bit like um, Aldo Albon at the beginning of the day. You know, just putting your arm around his shoulder and making sure he doesn't get too down about it because he's obviously more fed up with that happening than anybody. Uh, he didn't do the car lots of damage, I don't believe. Although, you know, maybe they, maybe they don't have lots of spares either. Brand new car, but you this point in time, you know, he blotted his copybook a little bit. What Red Bull will be saying to him, sort of, is, you know, don't do it again. Once, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll give you the, you know, the, the benefit of the doubt. But he, he stood up and said it was my fault, just lost the rear a little bit, and, you know, that's it, you're a passenger. Um, so, no big deal, but, you know, don't do it too often. Well, in terms of others in the wars, Renault had a few problems today. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, had a problem related to the DRS and the, the top flap of the rear wing broken and came off on the uh, on the main straight. In fact, we had our live coverage. Uh, Luke Hinsel of Motorsport TV is here with us. I can see him editing one of our one of our videos that will be out uh, as probably as you as you uh, listen to this in in the kitchen. He uh, he snapped a few Renault personnel bringing it back, and you could see the brake was very much in the in the middle. So can you can you explain what happened there and why it was a, a DRS failure? system failure that, that led to that happening well yes i mean i can explain as best i i think i can um basically the drs this year opens 20 millimeters more there's 20 millimeters more slot gap through to allow more airflow through so the drag reduction is more uh, at the same point in time the downforce that the rear wing will be producing is less so a few bits of calculation about the speed increase and stuff you're talking about 450 or 500 kilograms of downforce you're losing off the back of the car when you have the drs open um and the, because of opening that bit further now, the the flap can get into the point where it, it goes past its aerodynamic centre. In other words, it's trying to actually open further, and the DRS is keeping it from doing that. The DRS mechanism is keeping it from doing that because there's a little hydraulic actuator there that last year a lot of teams just had the hydraulic actuator opening the wing and allowing a spring to shut it because it never got near its aerodynamic centre other than... Um, Ericsson at uh, Monza when he had a big crash in the Sauber where they, the flap, again because of the low downforce, the flap was too open and it didn't shut. Um, but now, basically 20 millimetres more, it can get to its aerodynamic centre and that can be because the actuator is having to hold the wing in the wrong direction, the flap in the wrong direction, or the fact that if it's just sitting on its aerodynamic centre, it will create a, a vibration where the airflow 
doesn't know how to shut it or open it. So you get a vibration in the rear wing flap, which I would now say was probably the reason that it that it failed. It was just fatigue because the, the, the little flap's sitting there bouncing up and down. Um, so it fatigues and, and just, that's it, it breaks. So one way of stopping it is to just not open it quite as far for now, put a, you know, some sort of stop mechanism inside the actuator. Just make sure you got pressure on it in the, in the closing direction. Um, or as they did with Hulkenberg for the rest of the day, um, didn't open it again, just left it shut, which, yeah, is another solution. And looking at the, the Renault Pace otherwise, Nico Hulkenberg was 8th, 1 minute 19.837 on the C3s, and Ricardo 9th, 1 minute 19.886 on the C3s. They split the day, so to within half a tenth at the same times. We've not seen anything particularly exciting from the from the Renaults as yet, other than rear wings <laughs> flying off. So are you a little bit concerned about what they are, or do, you, or do you think we just put that down as they're just running to their programme and, and don't need to do anything flashy? Um, you know, looking at the car on the track, it's not doing anything wrong, but then neither is any of them. Just the corner speed is a bit different, and that's just down to the grip level you have, downforce level you have, and the tyres you got in the car, all that sort of stuff. But in general, I don't think they've got the grip level of the Ferrari or the you know the top teams. Um, confusing that with fuel loads, obviously, it's very difficult, but Hulkenberg did a long run today, and just watching him, you know, say the car through that long run, just was okay, but it just went slower because of the fuel load. Um, so it's it's difficult because we've only got we can only compare like for like on the track, and we don't know the fuel loads of any of the cars. But I wouldn't have said I've seen anything I see anything impressive from the Renault just yet that's going to move them out of the, that midfield bunch. You know, there's a, there's that what we call the top three, and then there's a gap, and then there's the midfield bunch at the front of that midfield bunch. At the minute, I would have said the Haas is probably the strongest car, the strongest package that I'm seeing. Um, between them and Sauber, I think, is the big battle at the moment. Now, Force India have got some room to move forward. Renault have got some room to move forward. And, you know, Toro Rosso. But I, I'm not sure that I'm seeing just the out-and-out performance yet. Um, we just have to wait and see who brings what developments before the end of this test. But I'd say at the minute, if I was to make a, a judgment, uh, Sauber and, and Haas are looking reasonably strong for taking the mantle of that the top four and it's interesting looking at the pace of the Renault sort of back of the envelope calculations of various ones they're doing it's not looking like the gap to Red Bull who were the obvious comparison uh, they were good comparison last year because it was fourth overall not necessarily fourth fastest against third so the, the gap's sort of looking fairly similar <laughs> so that's uh, maybe a little bit, uh, bit a bit concerning but also yeah, Lewis Hamilton was 10th at 1 minute 19.928 on the C3s ahead of Lance Stroll who had his First uh, proper outing for, for for racing point of this year. One minute twenty point four three three. Also on the C threes, and actually we should mention Pietro Fittipaldi took over the Haas at the end and uh, had a, a handful of laps, uh, getting down to a time in that. Who of course is uh, the Haas uh, the Haas test drivers that completes the twelve drivers who were who were running today. There was some off track news. The FIA released this uh, what's been called a kind of a spec gearbox. Uh, contract uh, contract that's been out, out for tender now it's a little bit more complicated than that isn't it because the the proposal is for a a cassette which will contain the gearbox internals that then slots in and so that's a common thing supplied by whoever there's been suggestions x-track is a quite obvious contender to maybe supply that sort of thing but there's many others any of the teams of course could tender for that and then that slots into the gearbox casing that the team has to design itself and that kind of makes the gearbox kind of almost a 
rear chassis type thing, but then uh, I think the things that's bolted onto the monocoque and then uh, the wheels and everything, are, the rear wheels are attached to. So to call it just a spec gearbox is slightly uh, oversimplifying it. And obviously this came as some news. I think my colleague Adam Cooper mentioned that Tender was out to Gunter Steiner of Haas this morning down in the paddock. And I think Steiner knew this was possibly on the agenda. I don't think uh, anyone had told some of the teams that this <laughs> that this was actually out. So interesting proposal. And it's all caught up in the politics, isn't it? Because there's the the desire to kind of keep costs under control with the control element, but also making sure teams are designing their own cars. So if you're Haas, they've never made a gearbox in their life. They just take it wholesale from Ferrari. Likewise, other teams, Racing Point, take a Mercedes box. We have seen teams in the past, not this year, Toro is running a full Red Bull gearbox now, but in the past it, it's done its own casing and then the internals have, have slotted in. But there's several teams that currently aren't making gearbox casings that would have to. And if you're making a gearbox casing in carbon fibre, which all but Williams, as of last year certainly, Oh, that's very expensive. So it's all wrapped up in this listed parts, non-listed parts argument. And it's kind of taking with one hand in terms of trying to save the cost of the internals, but kind of giving with another by adding cost with the, with the casing. So complicated. It, yeah, it's complicated. The, the one thing I have to say is the, the main structure to carries the rear suspension. So in other words, you'd, you'd call it a sort of, yeah, a casing, there, which would be carbon fibre on most, cars if this is the way it goes would just be a, a shell as such a structural shell a bit like the um a bit like the chassis itself so most teams have the facility to make that um the difficult part of that making that component as a gearbox becomes the gearbox part doing all the gearbox internals and stuff um so not, now currently what we have is that sauber and uh, and haas use ferrari um gearbox and probably most of rear suspension um, and we've got um, Racing Point who use the Mercedes gearbox and we've got Toro Rosso who use the Red Bull gearbox so there's a sort of precedent set that you know you, some teams don't want to design their own gearbox they have a facility to, to buy a gearbox from somebody else and they go that route because it allows their smaller staff levels to do more work on the thing that makes the car perform which is the aerodynamics so good, bad or different, it's a solution to that problem. It would mean that the team would have to make its own gearbox or its own rear casing to mount the suspension, so it would more or less have to make its own suspension. Um, and the, the gearbox internals would be this cassette that plugs in there and there's a, some type of a drive. I imagine the teams would do the differential themselves and the output shafts and, and drive shafts and stuff housed into their um, carbon fibre casing and that the cassette would push in there with a, you know, male female spline of some sort to drive it so not a stupid idea as far as that whole thing is concerned the, the, the stupid idea from from my point of view is that it was we saw the tender being released today and they want people to tender for it by the 14th of march to do that job correctly um you know we'll take and, and come up with a figure that's practical for the solution because obviously all the teams would like to see it to cut costs if or would, all the teams would buy into it if it didn't hurt their performance and would cut costs. Um, so you've got to do your cost analysis fairly well. And you've got what, four weeks, three weeks, three and a half weeks to do all that. It's, it's now impossible in my book. So I think it's not a bad idea to propose, but it needs a longer term to actually get a, a proper solid proposal 
Otherwise, it'll end up like things like HS2 or the London Underground or whatever it is. They're doing tunnels and stuff where it costs 10 times as much as what we thought it was. So, the, you know, get get all that stuff done, but give the, give the people that are going to do the tender an opportunity to do a proper tender, and then it might make sense in the longer term. Especially seeing as they have time, because this is for 2021, I should have said, and it's not coming in next year, so there is a little bit of time as part of that big rule change. So, yeah, interesting to see what the reaction is to this. I think it might be firing a shot over the bows of saying to the teams, look, chaps, you know, we need, we do need to do something with this. Um, it's not Max Mosley tactic, isn't it? It's like, it throw out the rules and then say, well, if you don't like that, come up with another yeah, compromise solution. Yeah, come up with a solution, and, and the, the solution could be, you know, just cut costs, basically. Uh, you, you know, as a team, you want to make the best you can. And as Ferrari or Mercedes or Red Bull, say those big teams that have the biggest budgets, they want to have the best solution to any given problem they can. And money doesn't really stand in the way. So the the technology they would use for the gearbox, you know, it may cost them a couple of million extra to do that, um, or much more than that. But to do the whole project is many millions for a gearbox. But it, you know, there may be some trick inside it that means it's a couple of million dollars extra. They won't say no to that because they have it; they can do it. But then for a smaller team to, to try and do the same thing, it's not possible. So this would be a way of getting some equality within the. Uh, within the gearbox but I never think that Formula 1 should go to a one make formula and the more you do of that stuff the more you're heading in that direction to be honest um, and I don't think it's right but as I say I, I genuinely believe it's a, a shot over the bows of you know we are going to do something here and if you don't buck up, buck up as teams and try and cut your own costs and try to work within yourselves then we will do something yeah, I think there's definitely going to be some some fallout from this. Interesting to follow how that gets along. Well, um, thanks very much, Gary Anderson, for your insight on the second day of testing. You'll, of course, be back tomorrow with uh, with more comments and trackside observations as things start to take shape. Uh, please do check out autosport.com. Lots of news from goings-on at Barcelona and all the rest of the world of motorsport on there. Our live coverage, our live text coverage has been running throughout the day, all sorts of pictures and insight and analysis, some Gary comments in there as well. So follow that once testing gets back underway on Wednesday and do check out our plus subscriber area we've got some in-depth features for a small fee you can access some of the world's leading motorsport journalists of course Gary Anderson writes on there Jake Boxall Leg our technical editor has been looking into front wings and the different concepts that have been approached so far so you can have a look there to read in depth about that please check out sister titles motorsport.com F1 Racing Magazine out monthly and Motorsport News out every Wednesday and if you fancy a flutter download the Pit Stop Betting app Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I love the playoffs. Anything can happen. But the best part? It's like bonus football. And bonus football means betting bonuses with Gambit DC. For a limited time, you can get boosted deposits by 57% up to $1,000 on the Gambit DC app and up to a 57% multi-sport parlay boost at Gambit DC retail locations. It's the most exciting time to be a fan. So make your play and get the home field advantage with Gambit DC. Limited time offer, terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.